I'm having a good time. You are? Yeah. I can tell. And we are rolling Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Charles Mugarera, or Mugarera Charles, as they say in Uganda. Charles is a permaculture, social entrepreneur, teacher, designer, and innovator. He's from Uganda in East Africa, and at the age of 27, Charles has already developed what you can only describe as a stacked resume. He is the founder of the Incorporated Social Enterprise, Broadfield Enterprises Uganda, or BUE for short, which focuses on the creation and implementation of innovative climate change adaption strategies using the permaculture principles and ethics. Sounds complicated, it's really not. They're trying to simplify things. His organisation works with Ugandan farmers to guide and adapt sustainable food growing practices in impoverished areas, and they also deliver permaculture design courses to anyone who wants to learn. Charles is currently working with the East African government to embed permaculture principles and practices into the mainstream public school curriculum. Most notably, Charles was the recipient of a United Nations Award for Global Citizenship in recognition of his work. Needless to say, Charles can be considered a social justice warrior, in my opinion. He's someone who is taking real action to bring about real change for the people of Uganda and beyond. He's currently visiting Bali and the Green School as a guest speaker at the annual Sustainable Solutions Eco Festival. I've just spent the last week with Charles facilitating a permaculture for education course with Green School students, and it became very apparent to me early on that Charles possesses an innate empathy and interest for everyone he meets. He loves and cares for people, period. It's just so obvious. It just comes out of him. He literally would not let a single person walk by without introducing himself and asking them how they were feeling today and then actually listening. It was awesome. Personally, I find it exhausting. (laughs) He has unlimited energy, but it was so awesome to witness that level of selflessness in a human being. So, Charles, welcome (laughs) to Bali. How are you, brother? I'm very good. I'm very good. I feel very happy. Why? And... um, I'm seeing a lot of things uh, that I've not seen before. Like, like what? Uh, the the region of Bali, the people of Bali are very beautiful. The first time I slept in my room with no like doors and having it's a design of a house, but I said, very, "Okay, for the whole time I've been here, I've never closed my door." Like, you know, so it's a very amazing. People are very people are very concerned about one another, which is really good spirit. Uh, the dark parts of the town, as I you know, when you drive in other countries, the dark parts of the town are really bad. You know, are the baddest places. You cannot go there at particular times, which is not uh, yeah. Here you move anywhere. So, so that's different to Uganda. It's different to yeah to not only Uganda, even to most parts of the country, mm. other parts of the world. You cannot do that in Mexico. You cannot do that even in some parts of the United States. You cannot do that even in some parts of Germany, the so-called countries that have security. Mm. But this country, I've barely seen a policeman. I've barely seen a gun. I've not seen a gun anyway since I came here. Even at the airport, I've really? not seen a gun. Mm. So, it's only countries, uh, Europe, have all gone from the airport. I'm seeing guns everywhere, everywhere, mm. everywhere. I've not seen a gun here ever since I came here. 
So there is a big influence of culture, culture, and the well-being of people, uh, security. Uh, despite the global problems we have, there is so much to learn from Bali uh, as a society and uh, households. Very respectful. I've not seen any sexual expressions of people in public, which is really a legitimate culture of the African societies. There is so much we share in common with the Bali communities in terms of culture, despite the fact that Africa today and Uganda we are facing um, what we call culture erosion, extreme culture erosion. Cultural erosion. Yeah, erosion. Erosion. Like, yeah, like um, our culture is being, you know, misplaced mm -hmm. because of uh, uh, we have had uh, epidemic, uh, and also war, war which we call civil wars that uh, have taken down a bit of part of the generation that would have been of benefit to the young population. So you're feeling there's yeah. a loss of cultural yeah. traditions and practices yeah. in Uganda? Yeah. Because of war? Because of war, civil mm -hmm. wars that we have had in the 70s mm -hmm. um, due to leadership challenges in terms of dictatorship and all other kind of things. And uh, the, the new focus of uh, government and investment on modernizations of the country has also made migration, rural urban migration of young people, uh, looking at the other activities of culture, cultivation of land, as way less opportunity kind of stuff to do. And uh, this also results in two effects of the economy, because our economy depends on agriculture. And we find that uh, we have government policies focus on industrialization, mm -hmm. you know, than uh, investing in uh, like agriculture, sustainable culture-based technologies. So we have not got an opportunity that is very extensive to, as a government of Uganda, to look at uh, how to invest in culture as they, an economic tool to address issues of economics. So what are the government uh, primary objectives at the moment in terms yeah. of rebuilding Uganda after the civil war? I think uh, according to... Education? Yeah, education is one of a, a big priority. Investing in human resource. I've really been very observant to the government of Uganda and I've precisely had a relationship with a few people working alongside the government and uh, you can see uh, yeah, we have issues of corruption these are issues underlying between uh, low portfolio ministers at the same time with big portfolio ministers. But uh, the government has a good vision investing in its people, human resource, to invest in skilling the population, which is a big priority. But also we take uh, challenges on, upon ourselves that uh, uh, the government has uh, embraced much more copying other countries, like we want to be like maybe South Korea, we want to be like maybe America, which is not really the real thing, because America is struggling with a lot of problems of globalization, and we want to walk that direction. So this uh, puts, in a position, puts me in a position that to, yeah, it's a good vision, but my vision like for the future as a young person, I feel much more relying on green policies. So that's much more of my passion, and 
I try to derive all my ideologies towards green policy development and uh, agriculture empowerment for sustainable practices and um, working with the parliament to see and other leaders to see that the advanced interests of green policy and uh, trying to show that actually with the green policies and all these other ideologies that are attached to well use of natural resources, regenerative agriculture can empower us to be as any other, you know, country. Can you explain your involvement with the the government at the moment? Like, uh, um, are um, you part of a political party? Um, possibly not part of a political party. Mm. And uh, I have much interest to really define, to create a difference between who's a politician and a leader. And this is one of my priority. I'm not... Uh, I don't want uh, anybody to perceive me as a politician as I grow my career. I, I would like to be a, a leader, but my relationship now with the, the government is uh, based... I'm a citizen, I'm a normal citizen who's very active in my permaculture field, but uh, the fact that uh, the leaders have seen the work I do, they have brought me closer to see that I can input and create... Uh, uh, create uh, possibilities that other leaders can be able to understand the idea and be of support to the work we are doing. Are there members of parliament who identify with your vision yeah. that you've connected with? Yeah, yeah, there are, there are members of parliament in Uganda who have... Uh, who uh, have a green vision? Who, yeah, they, we have the idea, but it seems these are old people. They, are, they have done education in the 80s, and uh, whatever they are doing, even when they go for another lecture, they will sleep in class. So it's like uh, they need us. They need us, the young people, to be of support of them. Are they aware of that? So they're actually acknowledging the fact they need young people. Yeah, they so they're acknowledge. not closed off to that? They're no, not they, they are very acknowledging. They acknowledge that, That's great. that they need young people. And if you're a good young person and you have the idea, they'll always give you a platform. They always give you a platform. But some of them don't want to go out of the offices. That's another issue. But we are trying to see that we work alongside them. Uh, however, some young people want them out, really out. But uh, I feel uh, taking people out is not the solution. Is to find a better way how transition can be in place other than, you know, uh, so yeah, there is fix a, what's broken yeah. as opposed to replacing yeah. it? You know, because we have a very big movement of young people that is really uh, very, I would like to introvert. Mm. That the, the approach of introvert is not uh, something I would really... Uh, criticism, we, we, facing criticism is not the best thing, but uh, working, doing something and show people what you do that they can learn from the physical end of work. Other than talking about issues, we have had so many problems in our country for a long, long time, which are manifesting also in the other countries across Africa. Mm. So people come to talk about this problem as if they existed yesterday, you know. And the same people talking about the problems, actually some of them have done nothing about the problem. They have, they have not even any planted tree. They're talking about climate change. You know, they are talking about uh, leadership. They cannot even manage families. They are not adding value to the society. So uh, other than talking, creating awareness of which has an introvert element. So this biases the people about, yes, uh, could we talk about the government staying long? 
or not? Could we talk about the problems or not? So my interest is not about who leads the country, but what is done for the people. So you're saying let's talk more action? Let's do much more action. Talk can be part of along the way, but uh, doing as small things as we can from our own angles is a good idea. Where did you develop that personal philosophy of, you know, doing as opposed to just talking talking about I it? Think like where, uh, where did you grow up? Like, did you grow up in a small village? Did you grow up rich in Uganda or poor in Uganda? Like, what's your background? I think uh, this is a very interesting time for me to share my, you know, my real story. And I've always dreamt to do this. And uh, my growth was... Um, I was given birth to about uh, in a family of about uh, 20 children. Excuse me? Yeah, my, my father had about five wives. Right. Is that common in Uganda? Yeah, it, today it's common for Islam. <laughs> okay. But uh, in the days, I think it was common for any family. A prestigious men would prefer having more wives. That proves your, you know, your mm-hmm. reputation mm-hmm. Uh, by culture. But at the same time, you had to have money to have uh, a lot of wives. So Was it almost a show of wealth? Yeah, but the wealth was in the form of cows, land, uh, uh, gardens, how many gardens can you, you know? And, and how much food you could yeah, produce. Uh, you, how much food you can produce. If you have 20 kids, yeah, you're going to so, have to produce a fair bit of food. And sometimes you're <laughs> going to have to make them work on your fields that they can produce the food. Uh, unfortunately, my mother was the worst, last wife in the mm-hmm. family. And uh, me, I was born as uh, one child from my mom. And my mom, uh, the time I think she got, you know, my father was at the point when my father was about to die. I was born, uh, before I made my second year as a baby, my father passed on. And uh, preferably, I cannot say that he's He's like this, he's like this. I don't know. I don't know how he looked like. But by that, that time, he had uh, denied me that I'm not his child because... He... So that's the story which came to me. And my mom moved, uh, moved to stay to work in a school. At that time, Uganda was facing a very big epidemic of HIV. Was she a teacher? My mom was a cleaner. Okay. My mom was a cleaner in an orphanage and the cook at the same time. At an orphanage? Yeah, at the orphanage. So would you be with her? Yeah, so I, I moved along to be a baby. Mm. As a baby, I had to go with my mom. Then my mother, time came when I think she had to go to do much more better earning incomes at the board of Tanzania and Uganda. And that's where also I moved on with, with her. Uh, during the same process, uh, I think she got another child, who, who a little girl, who are, who's my follower now, but in a different father, not in my father. You still he, connect with her? Actually, he's the closest child to me, because he's the only sister I've ever had time with her, like before I was taken to the orphanage. Because I think by the time I was turning nine, uh, I started schooling. Schooling? Yeah. At nine? At nine. So your mom put you up for adoption? Not really for adoption, because at first I was schooling in a nearby school at home. 
but uh, I really I wasn't good at school. At, at my, it's like I was going to school just to you know because I hang out. Yeah, I could not read. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything really. So you started yeah. at nine years yeah. of age. Yeah. So, uh, but my little sister was really bright, brighter than me, and I, I acknowledge that. I remember the memories because. She was bright and I was really a big dull boy around and school was not my thing. Like what um, was a what was a, a public school like then? Were they large class sizes? Yeah, large well class sizes. facilitated? Like did you have I think you have? it is it was uh, also we could sit in a down hmm. tree, some we had the trees, but we also had these big blocks which are constructed by the government, but no chairs, you know. Uh, you so sit, sit on down, the ground. Yeah, sit on a stone. You sit have, on a stone. Yeah, you, have, <laughs> you have to carry stone <laughs> to your class. Stones, yes, seat. yes, stone. One brick, like a brick. Yeah, yeah you had to. Put no it table. In. No table. Nothing. <laughs> and our Vaseline worm. I think I remember they used to smear me with the cooking oil. Mm. I used to what? Cooking oil. For what? As Vaseline. As Vaseline. <laughs> yeah. For what do they use it for? When I after shower, I'm going to school. My mother smear me with the cooking oil, like as a moisturizer. Yeah, because so we never had dry out. because we never had Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> so what? She just get her like cooking oil and just yeah. rub it on your face. Yeah, you just get a bit of it, smear. <laughs> 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 then walk to Is school. it dry in Uganda? Like, I, mean, I think yeah. Like, it's so common to, for the poor families. It's right. very common for the poor okay. families. Rather than you becoming pale, yeah, because our skins could be pale, and you look so like you, you can shower. After two minutes, you look like you are very hungry. You want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so people will say the the mother doesn't feed the children. <laughs> So they had to smear me every morning. I, I could. So look. that's a sign of a well kept child. Yeah. Well so, looked after. Yeah. When you are, of course, when you are shiny <laughs> and you are, <laughs> that means yeah, the boy is okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so she do that. Send you off to school. Yeah. Then uh, send me to school. Um, and then and then you stayed at school all through high school. Yeah, I started the, uh, that almost those years when I was in that school. Uh, it's like. Uh, they were not wasted, but uh, when I was taken to the orphanage, my mom had an opportunity that she had uh, people in the orphanage that uh, she worked with, and they knew me as a child because I, I grew up there mm. as a little baby. Then they took me. Then uh, they brought me back to study. Then I had to really go back three years. So, I so okay, you would go to the orphanage with yeah. your mother as she cleaned the orphanage. Yeah, fast. Right. And then you got to know the people who managed the orphanage. Yeah. And then they decided they wanted to help you yeah, get actually, more of an education. I, I think my mum requested because at that time she had another child. Mm. You know, and she couldn't support the two of us to take it to school. Then uh, when she asked for, they gave her an opportunity to have me there. And uh, the challenge came that uh, it was, I think, um, after um, about three to four years having me there, my mom passed on. And when she passed on, really, the orphanage never knew my family. They never knew anybody apart from my mom. And I myself, I never had no idea. But uh, I, had a, I had an idea about my cousin, my half-brothers and all that because I had, I had a chance to visit them where they buried my father 
but we had no connection really because I was a little child, they are old, old boys, and these are from other family, other mothers who are not my mom. So, and uh, yeah, I had to stay almost all my life in the orphanage. And I think uh, during my time in the orphanage, I, I grew up. When my mom died, I felt like life is finished. How old were you? I was, I think, uh, around 12, around 12, 11. 11, 12. Yeah, yeah, 11, 12. So Mm. when she passed on, like, I felt like life is finished. Mm. It was very... Where did you live? I could not believe. Where where did you live then once she passed on? I was in the school. I was in the orphanage. So you yeah. then went to the orphanage yeah. full time? Yeah, even before she before she died, I could do through school, be in the orphanage, mm. then also go for dancing training because okay. I was doing music okay. at that time. Then uh, I was really struggling so hard to with the school to make sure I get good grades to challenge her because everybody knew that I'm not good at school, you know, I'm dull, like all that kind of things. Then uh, that time when the, she died, I'd performed well, but I never got a chance to go home. I had to go for music training. And when I came back, I couldn't go home because school has begun. And since the orphanage had provided everything, because when you go for the music, your music training, you had privileges. What kind of music did you play? Uh, we play uh, traditional music. And this was part of the program to perform the United States uh, to raise money, to raise money for other children to be able to go to school. Oh, so it was yeah. an orphanage band. Yeah, it's an orphanage kind of program. And what what instrument did you play? Uh, I, I play I play a long drum, a long drum. Long drum. Yeah, the, the, we put it in the Between legs. Between legs, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, long drum. And you hit drum. the sides. Yeah, and it uh, ours has one side. It has one side. Gotcha. It's one of the like lead, a jambe. Mm, Jambe is a different one, but also I could play adungu, okay. yeah, and uh, and also dance, and perform some dances like yeah, like a runyege, uh, which is a male dance and all yeah. that. Yeah, I could really perform. And these were things you did to raise money for the orphanage, yeah, or and just fundraising uh, initiatives. Uh, yeah, fundraising initiatives because this organization was partly based in the United States. Its offices are in the U.S., and wow. uh, they have been. Uh, they had a partnership with the, the owner, the sister of the organization who owns the organization of like the orphanage. So, sorry, keep going. So this um, was uh, an opportunity that uh, she, the sister, invited the Americans to be able to participate in uh, supporting these children because they were interested mm. and um, I was one of them under the orphanage. But still, they could uh, attach you to someone directly who would be your sponsor at that time. Right. And uh, at that time, I had a family which was uh, taking care of, of my education. Uh, and they were from we, America? Yeah, they were from yeah. America. The Broadfields family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then... Um, uh, at the same time, I had uh, a good, good connection with uh, when I stayed there. Often there are doctors who could come for to treat us from America to give us health care and all that. 
and then I met uh, one of the ladies who who's called Jennifer Kates and uh, precisely it was really natural connection because she came in right when uh, my mom has died at that point when my mom has passed on mm. and she gave me her contact details and everything and all the time whenever I was at school before she left I used to spend most of my time with her then uh, before she left she really had much interest in me and taking care of me then and that's when she started you know taking care of me directly but remember i also had a scholarship from a different family but this family was much more connected to me because okay. they came out to you know to see so me they were more than just funding your education yeah, they yeah. were actually yeah like interacting with yeah them. so they give me and uh, they could do take care of my clothing and all that as a child they could send sheep mm. number of things for me to have wow. when I'm a child which part of america were they from texas okay yeah so they could ship all these things directly to me mm. to my school and they I get them and uh, yeah it was a very good time because i could not know how my life would have been at that time it was they came into my life at a point when i'm really hopeless like my, i don't know what is next with my life mm. i was with other kids but i could you know did you have good friends in the orphanage definitely like, actually they're they like, like they're like brothers now we we see each other as brothers because we know like we came from nothing you know we are just random children taken care by so many different people we don't know what um, was the name of the village that you grew up like where the orphanage was like sanje sanje yeah today i'm support today i'm supporting that village i'm i'm running you away uh, we, when we come ahead of the story um, i'm now supporting the community i yeah so how far from the capital of uganda is it's it it's about 100 uh, 120 kilometers okay. yeah well one like it's four hour drive okay yeah so four hour drive so then once Uh, these people came into your life yeah they guided you through high school yeah they took me they supported me a lot so uh, once once that they got you through high school supported your education they supported the education did you feel they really got you on more of an academic path then did you uh, i think uh, during the orphanage when i was in the orphanage as we were studying we are exposed to a number of skill sets and uh, during that time having uh, doing music i was very active child doing music doing sports uh, at the same time uh, agriculture as a class and uh, during that time uh, there is a good donor who was supporting one of the board chairmen who was uh, working the world bank and uh, introduced a program to do with food security run to grow food for the children to be able to improve on the diet because we are one of the children who are man, malnourished, malnourished in the society and some of the families could not even bring their children to stay with us because they say ah those children they are orphans they are uh, they are you know eating badly eating what so and this guy said well, i think we need to do something about it then they started a program with food security to improve the diet also to improve uh, the learning spaces hygiene yeah hygiene and all that 
um, in the orphanage. In the orphanage. So, were you malnourished at times? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, if I share you some pictures of mine, you'll be shocked. I have, I've, so, I have no pictures when I'm a baby, really. But, but I have, like? I have some one picture which I can show you when I was still in school, and you'll be very shocked. What I was your diet like then? Like portion beans. Portion beans only throughout the year. Wow. Yeah. So, like, would you eat once a day? Before we could only eat once a day, uh, and during the lunch we take one cup of porridge. Right. That, one that cup. That would be of, it for the day. That's for the day. Then you can only eat food just for dinner. Okay. But you during lunch, from morning, you you from from six. Six a.m. Six. You take one cup of porridge. Mm-hmm. Then you take another cup of porridge at one. At uh, yeah. Then you you take a, me, a dinner at six. At six p.m. Yeah, yeah. And that was beans. The beans and posho. And did you have clean drinking water? Yeah, borehole water. Borehole water. Yeah, just pump yeah. the borehole and drink. Yeah. How long did that sustain you, though? How yeah. long were you on that? Program? We were so many kids, so life was just going on there yeah, as children. Wow. And uh, I can tell you that uh, it is um, an experience you can never forget in your life. And uh, whenever you remember that moment, you feel much more lucky you feel like uh, you feel that you need to love other people because they are people who loved you Mm. they don't know you but they chose to love you so that puts me in a very difficult moment that I feel like nothing I need to own really as an individual I would like to share as much as I can share you know, wow. I would like to see other people smile. You know, yeah. just because of me, I want to. I want to be in a space, and people feel. If I'm out of the space, people feel the space is empty. It's true. So, I've noticed it. Yeah. So that's uh, my real dream, and um, it's something that uh, I want to do always, always, especially for the children, because children don't forget. Children will never forget. They will never. I still remember the number of people who have given me things in my head, and some of them don't remember. Do you have teachers that uh, you remember specifically? Very well. I visited them. Which uh, ones do you remember? Like, and why, why do you remember them? What, what was it about them that made you remember them? Yeah, there is one of my teachers whom I used to tell about my dream, you know, and uh, I was, by that time my mama died, so I could not go for holidays, so I could stay in the orphanage. As one time I stayed in the buildings as one child. In a whole, like you see this green school? And there is one child inside that school, and nobody, everybody has gone. Even the house mothers have gone for, to be in the, with their families. And uh, uh, nobody could know whether I ate, nobody could know whether I didn't eat. You can only notice that I'm around when the school begins. And I had to move to villages, to the neighborhood villages, to ask for food to, from other families. And, and were they willing to share? Yeah. Or yeah. were their children priority? Yeah, actually, by the time I left the school, I had made so many friends in the village because I was not a wild past, a wild child. You were a wild child? Yeah. No, I no, I wasn't it. like a wild child, but I would be 
The communities were not bad communities. Mm. Uh, their houses, households, I remember I could go, they give me cassava, mm. I go cook for myself, I go, you know, I go also to the bush to look for fruits, for jackfruit, I could go to the bush to look for jackfruit. So you developed survival techniques? Not really, like really? I really developed, but to, it is nature. <laughs> nature can force you, not force you, but it influences you, because I couldn't let myself to die. Because you were hungry. Yeah, I could be hungry. So you were doing whatever you needed to do. Yeah. So you were saying that you know you knew so many people in the villages. Yeah. Most were willing to give you food. Yeah. So even being social like that. Yeah. Was a survival technique yeah, it because was you're a, like, well, the more people yeah, I know, the yeah. more chance. Yeah, the more chance we have to survive. But as a child, you, you, sometimes it could be frustrating, and it could put me in position to know how difficult life is for me and I wouldn't take any chance for like granted I I had dreams sometimes I could not know whether I'm sure of the dreams really but what I had to do is I I came to a point I knew I had nobody on my side at what age uh, that was I think that was 13 years wow. 13 years and uh, my my family uh, remember these sponsors of the scholarship, I can't have contact with them because this, that's an organizational management process. But I had contact uh, uh, this family, the other family which came to treat me like a doc- the doctors. I've got a question for you. Yeah. You said that at 13 years of age you realized you had no one else to rely on. Yeah. What was common, like, and then you were sponsored? And you felt that then you had a family who were actually then helping and supporting yeah. you. Yeah. But what was what was common for people at that age who were in the same predicament as you? Would they start to go off into drug and alcohol abuse, crime? Yeah, I have yeah. so many friends I grew up with. I've actually, I'm, I support. I I've started supporting them through sports, but all of them now are drug addicts. And uh, apart from drugs. They are, we, you know, Uganda, we have HIV as a very serious epidemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are young people who have gone to sexual, sexual, uh, you know, intercourses. Prostitution. Uh, yeah, some prostitution. But the, the boys, most of them have been affected by alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, no job. And you can see there is no transformation in their lives. You can see, I used to play with them, I used to do, so when I go back, I feel sad. You are discussing a totally different language. You are two friends of 20, maybe 1999. You had the same conversation, but today it is 2019. You are are discussing climate change, the other one is discussing a bottle of beer. So you can see the big difference, and you find that you don't want to ignore them, but you want to find the magnitude of a relationship. Mm. And that's how I start to like build support, buying balls. When I travel, I buy a lot of sports kit to take for these young people because now, and uh, I'm planning to buy their team to be officially supporting the team. Sponsor their team? Yeah, sponsor the team. Like yeah, B-A-U? Yeah, B-A-U, sponsor the team as our mechanism of marketing. What's their team? Soccer? Yeah, the soccer Sport. team is, uh, uh, it's, I think, the Young Warriors. It's a soccer team? Yeah, it's their soccer team. 
it's a village best but uh, i've been thinking of buying like a football pitch land almost an acre is costing me 300 dollars just one acre of land so such that i put a foot a soccer pitch a private soccer pitch where they can be have training but also i can hire the grounds for other official events that can bring in money that i can continue to grow that venture and support them I to be over to because that's what they know to do they cannot do gardening so if you start with what they know then you start diversifying to show them okay you are doing this and we're doing perfectly now let's add on this let's add on this there you can heal them but when you start with something they barely don't know it is difficult for them because they have not pursued education they have no idea on what it means to be a transformed person so that's another section of group of young people now i can say those were my friends which i grew up with them when i was a little child yeah is there a lot of just feelings of hopelessness amongst them like they're stuck yeah and life will never get better definitely definitely most of them have given up they have given up so it's they look when you come and empower them and and try to revive them it's difficult for you now to go because they will count on you you know they will really you'll be the light for them and if you move away it means they are hopeless at the moment you know do you feel a sense of obligation to them now because yeah. that's where you're from yeah i feel i have a big obligation to the young people very big obligation i feel actually i have an obligation to support anybody who has like a life that is not in the right state if especially young people because you don't know who transformation is real mm. is very real when did when would you say your transformation really happened i know i know transformation can be a slow thing but when yeah. when did you have the breakthrough where you felt you'd actually broken out of that cycle because i mean it would have been so easy to stay in that cycle yeah, yeah i think when i got in contact uh i was hopeless and had no dreams my my that mother whom really had much more connection with me the first time apart from the broadfields but the jennifer cates because she had daily routine kind of relationship which was very strong and whenever i when my first time i got facebook and it's the first time i looked for her actually before i looked for her she sent me i sent i had the address in my suitcase and i had kept the address for a long time and i didn't know what to use it then i asked my friend that i have the address of my mother they told me i wrote a letter and i took to the i walked 15 kilometers to take my letter to the post office wow to i walked 15 kilometers there and then back yeah so 50 kilometers no yeah 30 kilometers 15 to go and i escaped from the orphanage because i was we were not allowed to move and i escaped to go to another town to take him the letter to my and mom. the letter was asking for no the letter was uh, actually by that time even my grandfather died the grandfather to my mother so i got that information that he died so i wrote a letter to tell them that my grandfather died and to miss them you know and 
they wrote to surprisingly me I had given her I had I didn't know that they would write back. From nowhere I received a reply letter from, from my head teacher. Yeah. From okay. uh, from the family in Texas. In Texas. Yeah. Okay. So surprisingly gotcha. I received a letter from them. And it said and they, they yeah and they 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 really they were very happy to get my letter and they cannot believe that it came through. It was a very big uh, surprise and from that time I started growing hope because they they really had much connection with me in terms of seeing how my life is and trying to see how best to grow it and they they wrote a letter on time telling me about Idi Amin Dada and what they know about Uganda and they feel like maybe I can be a president of Uganda. I said that in the letter. Yeah, in the letter. And, uh, wow. Yeah, and uh, and they also they said things like we will support you financially. Yeah, they 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 said they are there for me to support me and to help me see that I can be able to be to grow my career to be able to your character. Yeah, so that time they put in a request to adopt me. They put in a request to the organization to adopt me. Then the organization refused because. The organization had diff- Broadfields supporting me, and uh, the Broadfields were good people, good family, very beautiful, very humble, very wealthy, mm. and very kind. And uh, I, I, they could write me letters, but uh, they are much more controlled by the organization. They are much more of an organization asset towards the organization, which was supporting me. So that put me in a position that my relationship was there with them, but I f- felt it is not really, you know, it is at a particular, yeah, they have much passion and interest in me to support me, but through the organization. But the Jennifer family, they the Bowmans, they are directly interested in me. Gotcha. An individual. An individual. Yeah. As a child, growth. Not in a individual. Yeah, the Broadfields are interested in the ideology of the organization and helping. Yeah, on based on the organization. Many. Yeah, based on the organization policy and based on their vision. Mm-hmm. Not in me as an as, indi- as a person. Yeah. So precisely that. Um, where where do my emotions fall? Mm. So I could not have. You must have um, felt very yeah, special. Yeah. So like, as a child, I could I could not find my emotional comfort. You know? Yes, they are there paying my tuition, but I couldn't find the emotional comfort. So you felt love directly from them through their through Yeah, their, I, I, I felt gratitude for the support to help me to go through school. And it was to easier to identify yeah. because it was yeah. one... Okay. Yeah. But the, by the Bowman's family, I felt gra- emotionally safe. You know? Yeah. Emotionally and truly safe because they could do whatever they can to find possibilities to support me. They could ship on as much as they can ship for me to clothing, even when I was in college, they could do, do as much as I want. Well, that, that's like my next question, I yeah. guess. So you, you've, you know, you've built a connection with this 
other family in the yeah. states, and yeah. they're 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 clothing you, yeah. they're they're funding you, making yeah. sure you're well looked after, and yeah. obviously it sounds like they're building your self esteem as well. Yeah, which I think for a child is, I mean, that's got to be one of the most important things. Yeah. And from that, you were at high school, and then when you were ready to graduate high school, maybe tell us about how you then transitioned from your teen years into adulthood. So what was the next move from Yeah, in the high school, school, uh, when I say my first year of high school, that's when the permaculture project came into place at the orphanage before I left. One year before I left, and I was uh, like in the last primary class, but I was in, orphanage was my home. Mm -hmm. Every time I'm there, holidays I'm there. And they were taking me to a first school, but then the the project manager said, no, Charles, I think he's very good at permaculture. He needs to be in a nearby school such that he can have an opportunity to be able to participate in permaculture. What age was this? Yeah. Around 16 or so? That's around 2008. 2008. Yeah. Okay. So. so I started 2008. I started my permaculture journey. So in did the you orphanage. do a permaculture design course? Not that year. I that year I never knew even the word permaculture. What I knew that oil was going to be finished in the world. Right. Yeah. And the world is going to run out of a crisis. The world is going to be in a crisis, and we need to find alternative solutions to grow food and plant trees. But I never had a big context of permaculture. So I started working, helping, doing the swells, doing a lot of things, everything almost. On, on a particular farm or was it a farm uh, on at the orphanage? It, it was part of the land of the orphanage. Oh. Yeah, and uh, I could do uh, whatever I'm asked to do. Wow. You and know? they were knowledgeable yeah. about No, they could teach practices? me. Yeah, they could teach me. It was almost a, techniques? A, like traditionally we are farmers, you know. We're not tilting, what, what. But uh, the permaculture context was doing much more of extra farming. So that means, I would call that maybe those were the techniques, you know, because it was same similar to farming, but in a different way, really. And if they wanted me to do things different, I had to be taught how to do them. And me, that's what I knew. I because I wasn't good at reading things and all that, so what I had to doing, wake up in the morning, they make we make a program, so they will go and do, yeah, do, do this, do, yeah, do this, do this, do that, do that, do that. So from that process, after about two years, then they said, I think we need now to prepare to do the permaculture course. Then they I, they started teaching me. The you principles know, yeah, and the, the ethics, principles and ethics, and how to apply them. And so then, well, how, how did you train then? Where, where did they did they send you somewhere? Yeah, because no, they first we had uh, bread people. Rosemary Maro. Excuse me. Rosemary Maro. You know Rosemary Maro. Who's that? Exactly. Uh, she's one of uh, an Australian permaculture teachers. Okay. Rosemary Maro. She, uh, she runs Blue Mountains Permaculture Institute. Oh, okay. I have uh, heard of that. Yeah, I don't know her. Yeah, and uh, Dan Palma. They are mostly people from Australia. All my permaculture trainers, they're from Australia. So did they come to you? Yeah, they came to me. Wow. They came to Uganda. 
and they have been running this project cons continuously and um, there as uh, and I also had friends like uh, Nero, Christopher and Sharon. Those were three of us taking this permaculture program and all of us were in the same orphanage. But uh, and you were handpicked. So they picked you specifically to work with the Australian permaculture Yeah, design because team. we are the children having interest. You know, agriculture in our society had come to be seen as a punishment because even when you look into the ancient days of the colonialism, agriculture was, if you do any bad thing, you are taken to the fields to dig. And so this was an activity that uh, people, yeah, they have no option. They have to do it to get food but they don't like it. You know? Is it considered like something that poor people do? Yes, as you have mentioned it. But today, the game is changing. Today, the game is changing. And one thing I feel that has happened in my life is while doing things derived on passion. I had to sit and search for my passion. But during that time, I'd not really... I was doing things, I'm doing them, my friend is there, I have nobody, you know, I have nowhere to go. But in that same process, because my dream was to be a flight engineer. Was it? Yeah. Before I was planning to be a pilot, then I had issues with my eye checks and all that. Then I said, I think I can't be a pilot, let me go down to be a flight engineer. And that was my line and I was working so hard towards that even when I was doing permaculture in high school in high school I was studying to be a flight engineer wow and uh, after that I was doing permaculture all through my journey there and I started making money in my high school I started doing gigs like jobs getting jobs on recommendation and go do this and go do this I bring back my money investing in myself to be able to go to school buy a few things. When and you say gigs, like you were doing just casual jobs, yeah, yeah, laboring not, type jobs? Not, not really casual jobs because they were arranged. They were really arranged by, by, by some of the, like the board members who knew different people across the country. They would organize for me to go because they knew. What, what kind of things were they? Like what were you doing? Designing. I designed a property in Kenya. Someone you designed a, a property. One of my friends, a property from Belgium. I designed his permaculture farm. Farm, okay. I designed uh, a program in... And these the, were paid jobs? Yeah, th wow. those are were good paying jobs for me. But so. But in Uganda, no people could hire me so much because permaculture was nothing, like not known to anybody. And that was a means to help you with your desire to become a flight engineer? Apart from that, because my desire to become a flight engineer, it has been always inside me, even when I was a little child. I wanted to be a pilot. Even I have a letter from one of my friends because he knew I wanted to be a pilot. He drew for me planes. And he told me, one day you'll fly and come to America to see me. And I still have that letter in my, di in my diaries. So my whole dream was to be a flight engineer. But and I said to when I was in high school, I finished school. I was already doing permaculture as my other extension job, you know, as my other thing. Like, I'm doing it to and yeah. something because I'm taught to do it. And, uh, yeah, and it can be naturally good yeah, at it. Yeah, naturally doing that. I had not this big vision. Mm. I want to tell you the truth. I never had this big vision.
But when I started, when uh, I pursued becoming a flight engineer, I raised enough money for myself to fly to Kenya to be able to do the exam. And I went, I did the exam. After doing the exam, I passed it. And there was a friend of mine, one of my friends who had, uh, one of my friends uh, who connected me to the girlfriend who was studying in Kenya. The girlfriend received me and took care of me when I'm there. I did the exam. After the exam, I mm. came back and I passed the exam. I paid for my entry exam. I paid for the admission, everything from my own permaculture and demand. Right. So when I brought this document to, my, to the organization where I had a scholarship, they said, no, we don't sponsor anybody outside Uganda. So then this put me to a point that is it a, what someone wants to achieve? Is it about the dream? It's about having someone study in an area. So this put me in an organization that the organization doesn't care about what's the passion of a child, but it cares about its formula and to attract. And they would say anything to someone who's sponsoring you for their interest. They say, ah, he cannot do this. He can't manage it because that's, they want to do they want you to do what they want. Because they want you to conform to what their agenda is? Yeah. Mm. That would be, actually, that's the right statement. Mm. And many organizations are doing this. A, many, I want to tell you the truth, many child sponsorship organizations are doing this. And that's the time when I started reiterating, like being irritated. That's irritated. the time I was started to be provoked because, to start digging into the detail on how this organization work. Mm. And it brought dissatisfaction to my understanding. The, because I'm passionate about something, I've done all the effort to make sure I prove to people I can do it. And they still don't, like, they put a position that we cannot put you here. And remember, the Bloodfields were also ready to be of support for me. So sometimes the child's sponsor is willing even to pay the child to go to a study in any university, mm. but these guys will never allow you. Right. You that understand? Frustrating. Yeah, yeah so I understand. That's how difficult that when someone sponsors a child, it's important so you go and meet your child. There's a level of bureaucracy. Yeah, good. The level of bureaucracy that it protects the interests of these organizations. Mm. And sometimes it's a money mechanism, despite the fact they have created impact, but Sometimes we feel that they are not parenting. I see know. what you're saying. They are on business. They are not parenting. They are on business. I guess that happens with a lot of organisations once they start growing is they start to neglect the needs of the individual. Yes. Because they, yeah, they start yeah, to... So because if a sponsor is willing to support a child to go anywhere to achieve the dream, why not? Yeah. But for them, they want to compromise on the opportunity of but the child... To be able, but was it an equity thing? Like, were they looking out for the interests of other students or other children in the orphanage? Like, I can say the interest of other children. Actually, if you make me lose an opportunity, you are compromising on other children. How? Because if I go and become a flight engineer, do you know how many children I can support? Gotcha. I can support more children. So, 
you're thinking that uh, stopping someone to support me mm. would help you support other children, it's wrong. Mm. Because you are compromising mm. the real deal mm. of a dream. You see? So yeah. that way, I felt really, really bad. And that was really a turning point because I had to decide what to do. And I refused to go. Uh, I first refused to, take, to go to university because they told me that uh, we have an opportunity for you just to go to a university here. If you want to go to a university here, choose. And? And I, I first said, I gave it some space. Then I went and thought about it. It's the time I had to really reflect what is my next step in life. Okay. Because now I have and? to go to university and start working, have to take care of myself, so and now I'm not achieving my real dream. Was that also, did you feel like you had to break free from that organization then? And was I, going I was to feeling so. I was feeling that point has come to me that I maybe drop out. But I, when I drop out, I've got to go do permaculture continuously. And uh, so I said, anyway, I think since uh, the opportunity is there, let me not turn it down. Let me go to university and do something that can add value to what I do. Who did you say that to? Who are you having these conversations with? Uh, I I had uh, one of my cousins, my cousin Derek. And they facilitated your access to university? No, like, you know, I was now grown up a bit... And uh, that's actually, that point, when I was 18 years, is the first time I saw my closest relative. And who was that? That uncle? was my uncle. Was my, an uncle? Yeah, my uncle called Kabananuchi mm-hmm. Ismail. And he was living in Kampala in a very comfortable place. And uh, I decided to go have my holiday there as I process on my entry to the university. or Also have dialogues with this organization about my father's step on education. But, I, yeah, I had the, the sons around me, especially Derek, who was, uh, you know, to, we were having discussions about these things. And he told me, you know, you go and do something. Maybe later you can do what you want. And uh, that's when I said, what do I need to do? Because I was not interested in university as a person. And uh, I told him, uh, I said, now I'm doing permaculture. I think uh, it's where I'm making a living. So let me find something I can do to add value to permaculture. Mm. And at that time, I had difficulties like making deal businesses with the local people or local society because you don't know how to go to ask your money in case you do a job, you can't easily. So I wanted to find a way how I grow the skill on how to operate, build, add value to permaculture. So I went and also marketing permaculture. So uh, that's when I decided to do permaculture. I decided to do a diploma in, in computer science. Computer in, science? In business. Oh, yeah. business yeah. computer science. Yeah. yeah, so that's... So, okay, so permaculture yeah. was the catalyst for selecting that degree. Yeah, yeah. So you could then uh, build yeah. a business yeah. that would then... Yeah, such that I can be... You uh, grow yeah. and help yeah, because support... Yeah. Because I was not willing, I was not interested to go into the world like mm. with another career because uh, I didn't feel like it's worth it. My, my choice. What, was, what, was, what wasn't working? Like I didn't feel like it was worth it for me to go and uh, study other things. They were not part of me, like they were not me. I didn't feel them in my heart in any way. 
and uh, people would select for you, ah, me, go and do medicine, go and do this, go and do art and this. But so I had to sit and search myself, and I said, if I cannot be a flight engineer, and I asked myself, what are the reasons why I want to be a flight engineer? And the question was, the answer was in my heart, I want to raise as much money as possible to be able to help people. So I tried to think more and said, okay, it seems my motivation to become a flight engineer is based on money, you know? But at the same time, I had love for it. So money and love and all those kind of things. But then I said, I'm already doing something. I'm already helping people. Feeding people, because by that time I was doing a project in the, for, uh, in the urban areas, but in the slums, to help elderly women to set up carbon gardens where they don't weed and they use less energy to, okay. to have food. So, and that made me have joy, and I said, I'm already helping people. And I think I don't need to wait to get too much money to help people. I can focus on scaling permaculture mm. and help more people now, before... You know, before I become a flight engineer. Mm. So that's why I got courage. I got more courage and I went to university. So, so sorry, you went to college yeah. to help you to be able to get into university? You know, in Uganda system, we don't have like colleges. Okay. You we have to... from high school straight, you go to university. Do they base that on your academic results in high yeah, school? Yeah. They still look at yeah. that? Yeah. I, so still, you, I still had to do, yeah. So you were still able to achieve results that... Yeah. Okay. I, so you I, focused I, in yeah. and... I went into the high school. I do the education. I got the university paper. But remember also my permaculture PDC. I did my permaculture PDC after like four years. Uh-huh. Like I did my permaculture PDC in 2010. But you were already working. Yeah, but in I was. Yeah, I was already working yeah. in permaculture. And that qualification was from Australia. Yes, with mm. uh, with Blue Mountains Institute of Australia under Rosemary Maro really and cool. Dan Palmer. Dan so, Palmer. Yeah, Dan Palmer. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, going into high school, I was really already mature. Like the brain was uh, much more because I'd done my PDs already, and I was uh, looking into really tangible solutions and I started a club in my school designing the school and uh, I planted a lot of flowers when I go there it's a flourishing place and did you get known as the gardener guy yeah people really know me for permaculture in my country mm. talk about Charles they can t- are you talking the about perma- are you talking about the permaculture guy are you talking about the permaculture guy so people know me like that now so, so, so what was university like for you? I mean, someone that, like, I really identify with um, that comment you made about, you know, not being academic. Yeah. You like to get in and be hands-on. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's me. I was the same yeah. at school. I couldn't sit still for longer than, yeah. you know, 10 minutes in a classroom. Yeah. I'd go insane. You yeah. know? I like to get in there, get my hands dirty. Yeah. So when you got to high, uh, university, like... What was it like when you I had, think had all these it, academic studies, especially like a, compu- you, you, was it computer science? Yeah, university was a very big adventure. Party? V- very big adventure. You party, and, didn't uh, And uh, I did a lot of things there. And I think it was also my turning point of life 
because if I did any mistake down there, I would have not been like today, you know. Uh, I went into university focusing on growing my permaculture, you know, skill set because I had jobs during the same. I was looking for opportunities within the country and I got to work with missionaries to design on near to work on the land site with the, some community on the land site when I was in the university. Oh, cool. Yeah, but within the university setting, uh, as an active person, I got involved into the leadership, politics of the university, as uh, the, the, like being part of... Uh, you joined the, some groups, yeah, clubs. Yeah, for, especially for leadership. Mm. And uh, within this process, uh, there's a competition came up under Barclays Bank, and I wrote a competition, a self competition, and I became uh, the second in the competition. Then I was recruited into the Barclays Bank mentorship program of the university. And, mentorship uh, yeah, program. Wow. Yeah. Where and what did that mean for you? It was access uh, to money? Uh, it was uh, access to skill, but also to some little support. And uh, since I wasn't the second, the first guy won the money, almost all the money. It was, yeah, so as we were offered a training, which was very fine, and during that training, it's when I defined my abilities. Mm-hmm. I defined identity. I tried to really see that I, I cannot underestimate what I have, and I can use what I have to start creating change. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, when uh, after that training, my principal of the university, who would be the vice chancellor of the university, um, gave me an opportunity to be working into his office. And I was working in the legal, legal office um, in the university. Of the head of university. Yeah, yeah. and the at the legal same time. Office. Yeah, of the head of the university. You don't as, have a legal background. Uh, uh, yeah, but I was an intern there as a leader. As a... Yeah, I was in... A, I took a Barclays Bank leadership program. As a specialist? As a... Uh, no, as an intern to support and grow my skill, yeah. It was a good intern which had privileges. And uh, that time I had a very interesting part where I had the, I was on the university, but I was sleeping on the block on the top at a hostel. And I had this girlfriend I was admiring, and she was on the, low, uh, on the lower floor. And this girl was very smart, fancy, but not so fancy, but uh, like where the poor boys around the block, you know, looking in shorts or in the lousy clothes, like lousy boys around. And no girl would say, this guy is fake. Mm. This guy is fake. Who? Yeah, you the, yeah, or the no, other the, guys? The, no, the girls. The girls? The girls could say that we, I, I'm a fake guy, like me and my group. Why? Yeah. Because you had the hearts for this girl? No, yeah, because I love the girl. Yeah. And this girl couldn't love us back because, could not love me back because I'm, I'm poor. Yeah, I'm ah, a broke guy. And this, okay. you know, we have, university students, you have the rich guy, kind ah. of guys. But, so uh, you now like, the, yeah. you know, mixing with people yeah. from different socioeconomic yeah. So when I started, when I won the Barclays Mentorship Program, mm. it, uh, the principal gave me like, uh, we came with the privileges, mm. uh, having a few things shopped for you. Yeah. Uh, to be able to fit on the intern because I was going to work with illegal people. So you got a bit of a status? Yeah, you have to be smart. Yeah. 
Mm. And uh, so time also my timetable changed. Yeah. I used to stay after class I could go back to my balcony and spend a few hours looking at the ladies down <laughs> walking. <laughs> so I never had that time anymore. <laughs> and the girls, the girl who used to see me all mm. the time, never couldn't see me now. Ah. They uh, they could see me in the evening coming in the suit. Ah, so the, and now they like you. Yeah, now, yeah. now they say, saying, what is happening with this guy? Who's that guy? <laughs> yeah, so, they say, <laughs> so until they started maybe not seeing a few changes uh, around me, and uh, then the girl started coming to me. Yes. To me. But th- by the time she came, I had lost interest anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so, <laughs> but uh, it is a very nice time to learn university. people. Yeah. Mm. And also I had an addiction in the university. To uh, what? To alcohol. Okay. Time, time came, I had, uh, because I was um, much, I had much more female friends. How do you know, how do you, know you had an addiction to alcohol? Uh, because I had female friends who would really put up parties a lot. Parties. Yeah, and they had really rich girlfriend boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Me to come to become a friend to the girls, I was much more good in class, mm-hmm. in class because I was doing work of year two students when I'm in year one. Right. I would do work for degree students when I'm a diploma student. Yeah. So I would do their coursework, uh, apart, and they pay me. They pay me money, so that was one way of surviving, and also to make me fit in their group, they could invite me for parties as an MC, because uh, uh, yeah, and okay. they, so, and my pay because I was cheap, my pay was alcohol. They could not give me any. So you were yeah. on the mic, yeah, hyping everyone up, yeah. at parties, yeah, at parties. So especially back the new, parties, you had the new job, the yeah. new internship, yeah. so you were becoming more popular. Yeah, yeah. So everyone wanted to join yeah. their parties. Yeah, apart from I that. Can, I can so uh, see you as the party uh, yeah. master. Uh, apart from that, before even I got the job, <laughs> I was good at classwork. You were good at classwork? Yeah, I became good at classwork, especially on fina- a bit of finance. So there are some subjects I was very, very good at. And these um, the guys, girls could come for help. From me, and I was right. uh, not a bad person. I could teach them, mm. and for free. And when they want me to develop reports for them, mm. that's when they had to give me some cash. So and I could make money. So you were okay. You were helping so, people with their school, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doing their homework for them, and they were paying you in alcohol. Yeah, and then that, yeah, okay. They pay me with the party. Yeah. Sometimes alcohol, sometimes cash. Money, cash. So it depends on what I want. <laughs> so you were cashed up, you were wearing a suit, yeah, yeah. you the MC at parties, yeah. you got chicks after you. So, I hope my mom will <laughs> not hear this podcast because she doesn't do that. <laughs> and doesn't so then, know. I've never told anyone about this. <laughs> but it's good. I'm happy now that mm. I can say it because uh, it's a lesson, it's a process. So you did, when did you realize, like, hey, I'm drinking too much? Or did, uh, you just, did something happen? Or no, did you just... the girls would take me, they would invite me. After all the party thing, I started drinking. They put jugs of beers, punched, what? Mm. So even some little weed. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I drink too much, of course, I find myself, uh, they tell me in the morning that, hey, you man, they brought you here you last night. Uh, you can't remember. When I can't remember anything so you're blacking out yeah so uh. and sometimes i could do even vomit in my bed mm. you know i woke up in the morning when i puked mm. i say oh my god this life you know and one time i was drunk when in a few days i had a paper like i got drunk 
before the paper and the paper was before. in four days oh, okay. an exam was like in four an, an days exam. yeah yep. but i these other four days i was still drunk mm. the alcohol i had before five days it had an effect on me for the last four, four days. days and i went an, an exam like i was mm. drunk yesterday mm. okay. so that was the turning point when i said i went back to my room and and i've never failed an exam did you fail that exam then? i failed that exam okay. But luckily enough, many failed the exam. Do you drink now? <laughs> no, I don't drink. So since then, you've stopped drinking? Since then, I really stopped drinking. But the turning point of how to stop to drink, I, my friends, I had the friends of mine saying, we hope you can stop. I told them I'm going to stop. And mm. they said, I don't, we don't think, Charlie, you're mm. going to stop. Because so many people struggle yeah. with yeah. that. It's a so big problem. So then I got a paper, a piece of paper. I locked myself in my room. I got a piece of paper. I said I need a moment of reality. Of reality? Yeah, mm. a moment of reality to myself. Yeah. Because I asked myself, today, my mom, whom I call my mother, she's in the U.S., these girls, they have done their best to bring me here, and they are away now. Who can take care of me in case I continue to drink mm. and I have nobody to mm. take care of me? So it was time for myself to help myself. Mm. And I got a piece of paper. I wrote alcohol as my topic. And I wrote advantage, disadvantage. Then I said I must be honest with myself. I, I started writing the advantages, all of them. And I started writing the disadvantages, all of them. Mm. And the list of disadvantages was big than the list of advantages. Okay. And simply I had to decide. So that's how I come to say there is no addiction. I don't believe that addiction is there. The equation of overcoming addiction lies in the equation of decision. You decide and you stick on the decision. And you fight to make sure you fulfill the decision. That's how I did overcome. Do you do you like identify with uh, a religion or some type of spirituality? I, do you have spiritual yeah, practices? Yeah, I, I have. A, I'm a Christian, and uh, I've born uh, as a Christian in Anglican Church, and I've always said to myself that uh, I don't want to impose religion on anybody, mm-hmm. and I don't want to always move around show people that I'm religious. And uh, I've always uh, believed that there is God, I believe. And I don't want to change my religion because I don't want to be punished by God, by someone bigger God. Mm. If I've done a mistake to be what I am as a Christian or to be an Anglican, that is a punishment of my parents because they are the one who baptized me. And if I change my religion, I'm going to carry the burden or it would be the punishment. If that means I've transited to another religion with my decisions and my choice, by my choice, meaning my parents have no cross to carry. Mm. So me being a Christian, whether it's a wrong thing or good, it's, uh, I feel it's not my problem. Well, the reason I ask is, I mean, you were talking about your problems with addiction yeah, and you laid out so simply it was like, I did a, I did a pros and cons list, and yeah. 
the cons outweighed the pros and yeah. it was like there's my there's my answer yeah. um and the reason I ask is so many people really struggle with addiction and many many say that they had to have a spiritual awakening to be able to no. um, find the strength to mm. overcome that addiction as opposed to sort of what you're saying is like you felt like you did it purely on willpower yeah I think he, we as individuals the more we accept our minds to be controlled by other people or manipulated, the more we're going to be manipulated even in our actions. You continue to believe that there is some other power to help you overcome, mm. yet you have the power. Yeah. The power lies within you. Mm. The power to say something and claim it and work towards it. Mm. That's the special power within you. And there's many people who believe that like, their higher power or their God exists within them. So, you know, maybe for some people that is what their version of a God is, that is there's that tapping into that power within. I think also this is a one thing we can talk about very, very uh, critically because many people, like we have Christians in our country who spend all day praying and believe they are going to be rich. Mm. And they never be rich. So prayer does not lie in it equation of success prayer lies in an equation of uh, doctrines and kind of other kind of you know religious forms mm. but it's not an equation of success equation of success is decision understanding getting the understanding and make a decision a well-formed decision because the decision determines the next step mm. it's like uh, the countries like when you look at a country like Zambia Zambia, which has been doing coal mining, mining of gold and other minerals, the government could not sustain the mining. They felt it's a big job, but then, and they sold the coal, the coal, the mines to the other companies, mm. and the companies were able to make the money they were they requested in one year, but the company insisted to keep paying the money as agreed in installments, mm. you know. These guys invested their money, they got their profit, but they are using even the sum of the profit to pay back to this government. So was that that Zambia could not take on its mines and invest in it or run the mines? So it's a decision, equation. Mm. It's an equation of deciding and re religion has an influence on culture, on other forms, on other which we would call the attributes of success. Yeah. Socially, it creates an environment where you are socially acceptable in that kind of form. But still, your decision has the major influence because decision creates a direction. It doesn't create destination. The decision creates a... A direction. A direction, yeah, okay, it does. Of your path. Mm but it doesn't create destination because you have attached decision with actions. Is that, is that the process you've always gone through in your life so far when you make decisions, pros and cons lists? Yeah, I think I've, I've been responsible for my life most of the time, mm. very responsible for my life because every decision has to come back to me. I know, but where, is, where does your goal come from? So you're making decisions towards what? what what's guiding? Yeah, so I... I'm, I started looking into my mom's 
how my mom sees me, my mom talks to me. Uh, I I started feeling guilty of myself if I don't if I don't really become whom I dream to be. It would be a very big disappointment. So you ask yourself, you know, in when you make decisions or when you're thinking about what direction you want to go, yeah, you ask yourself, what would my mother think? What would my mother think? Wow, and uh, it's really nice and uh, this is a woman who flew back to come to see me, just me. Flew back from the United States, not to go to your, tour. Your, your United yeah. States mother, not yeah. your biological mother. Yeah, not my biological mother. The Jennifer Cates. Jennifer Cates. And the husband. They flew. What was his name? Uh, Jennifer Cates and Bowman Carl. Carl Bowman's. Carl Bowman's. Yeah, it's the Bowman's family. Mm-hmm. So, this guy flew back to come to just spend time with me, mm. to see how I'm doing, to see how I'm going. Mm. And they contributed a lot when uh, when I was uh, like when I developed the business, it uh, was quite uh, unbelievable to anybody mm. who knew me, because as you knew my background, my my weakness as a child, nobody could expect you to grow at that point. However, people have hope, mm. like my mother uh, Jennifer had much hope in me uh, to be a great person and you would see when she talks to me after talking to her mm. I feel like my journey has begun I feel like yeah the world is out there for me to you know to do things better because one person yeah. believed in you yeah so her, her believing her believing in me was very significant in my life because it could motivate me to always be the good person it would keep me Focus. It could keep my focus. Just her words before talking to me, after talking to me, I just get my books and get do my homework, get do everything and make make sure everything is done on my table and wait for another day. When I stopped drinking, is when I actually I started having ideas to start a permaculture business. So, I mean, you say you don't drink anymore. Do you, yeah. do you feel like since you made that decision and, yeah. and sort of hit that rock bottom and had that time in your room to really yeah. think about do you feel like your life has gone in a better direction since then yeah i think also having a decision having a formed uh, having within you an element of resistance to say not things is a maturity mm-hmm. puts you at a level of maturity where you see other people enjoying something and you cannot do that mm-hmm. so maturity having values is a sense of maturity so to that point, it was a point, I think, when I started growing values. I say, I cannot have this, I can have this. I cannot have this, I can have this. Yes, I love this, but I cannot get it now. So that's maturity. So in that case, people who cannot have those lines, you find if you cannot have that, he will steal. If you cannot have this, he will do anything to get something. Mm. So that way, it helped me a lot. And I focused I started building, uh, I, I started developing a permaculture project proposal uh, as I was working in the principal's office. And um, when I talked to the principal about it, he told me, that's a good idea. You may not need even to do as much education as you think, but it's something very interesting that uh, it comes out of your passion. So that point, I restarted really looking at my life 
what is my passion? And if my passion is to see and helping people, then I've got to do something about it. Yeah, but I can help people as well when I'm making a living. So that's when I started developing, how can I develop permaculture in a business sense? Can I make it as a mega commercial intense business? I said, no. I think I can be a social entrepreneur. And this was after university? No, I was in the studio. Yeah, I was still in the you university. You started BUA during university? Yeah, I started BU when I was in university. Before, before even I thought of graduating and all that. I started BU when I was still in university. And uh, I, my friend from U.S. called Dan Lovey, who saw me when I was about to, uh, 12 years, I convinced him after a very long discussion of about months to invest in my business and he gave me the first startup fund. Some capital? Yeah, he gave me capital and, and he hired a lawyer for me. So maybe you could explain mm. to us like from getting an investor yeah. to where BE yeah. is now. Yeah. Tell us about the tell us about the story since then. What's it grown into? How many yeah. people do you employ? Yeah. What sort of space do you have? Yeah. So from that time when I um, uh, we go, I got a lawyer, did all the work to register the business and all that, I said, okay, now it's time to go out there to start doing work. I started by running um, permaculture benchmarking on my other projects, trying to follow them up. By the same time, I started doing uh, permaculture in schools. I went back. By the time I went back to the orphanage to visit them again, I found when Children of Uganda, which was supporting them, exited the project. Children of Uganda yeah. was an organization. Yeah, which okay. was supporting that orphanage. It exited, mm-hmm. and everything went down like this. So mm-hmm. the project which was there also failed because no management and all that. So I went and I started taking on that project slowly, trying to penetrate to see that I can revive it. That's how I started getting involved in other organizations where I went and designed uh, uh, how to introduce permaculture to people without telling them that it's permaculture. That's the curriculum philosophy. And I worked on that uh, solution with a, a professor from Australia who was helping me with it, and that is Prue Gill. Prue Gill. G-I-L-L. Prue Gill. Yeah, she's also an Australian professor, mm. and uh, she, was, she knew me, and they, we, they worked on, on this solution together with me, and I used this solution to develop projects for different NGOs, wow. and that's how the global citizens identified me. Yeah, so, and be, between that, I was still struggling to put up the permaculture business on the top of it mm. because the CD fund was just to stimulate legal processes. Was, sorry, the CD fund I had from my friend was to, for legal support, gotcha. getting the company registered and all that and all kind of things. Then I was trying to work with the different NGOs in partnership to develop solutions based on using permaculture tools. And I developed uh, uh, teen mothers for single mothers feeding program where they can grow much more nutritious foods for their babies and in the small spaces in their homes. Then I also designed the reusable pads 
using much more recyclable pads. Menstrual pads. Yeah, for for girls in uh, in one of the organizations. You guys designed and produced yeah. those? Yeah, and now it is a product on the market there. In, that in organi- Uganda? In Uganda, yeah. So that's how I come to be part of Global Citizen, to get that award. Then uh, I also supported We Farm, which is a UK-based organization. We that Farm? It, yeah, We Farm, which supports farmers to be able to share information, questions and answers to also markets. And it was based on mobile application platform, which uses USS, USSD, USSD system. USSD? Yeah, where text. USSD. U-S-S-D. U-S-S-D. Uh, I'm not familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's a, a coding ignorant. language in the ICT. And it's a communication yeah, method, is it? it's a communication method for text. In- text internationally? Yeah. In, no, locally. Locally, yeah. Okay. But free text. Free yeah. for farmers. For farmers, for local farmers. Okay. Asking questions and getting answers right. of the problems. So connecting so, them. Yeah, so in that process, my, I was summarizing my university then I developed my own application system, which is a permaculture app. You did, yeah, great. And, uh, and it like yeah, so I'm a, yeah, I'm a very, I'm actually strongly very good in the system development, in terms of getting a problem and write the system. Yeah, so I did that, and uh, I worked with a few co- programmers to develop the application. But it's this, it's me who wrote the system. Okay, so it's a it's a it's an app. That yeah. Someone has a problem. Yeah. They put it in the app. Yeah. You get the problem. Yeah. You, you write a solution. Yeah. I I reply with a solution. At the same time, they can order fertilizer from me, because I start thinking what products can I put up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fertilizer. That's how I started working on a prototype of a fertilizer that I have today. Great. So I started working on that prototype since 2016. Okay. And the prototype is getting approved this year. To be a product, so uh, within that period, I had to because I was moving out of the world to the world, to start surviving by myself, and I had to find a way to make sure I make myself stand, and make sure I represent what I represent. Mm-hmm. So I worked for ma- many different organizations that really wanted to drive me into different career processes, like maybe be a reproductive health expert, and that was not me. So Excuse I was me, always like reproductive reproductive health. Reproductive health. Yeah, okay. expert in Which t- for I'm young people. Is something that's really needed in mm. Uganda? Yeah, it's that's something. It's a problem because we have so many teenage teenage uh, pregnancy. We have a lot of sexual, sexual yeah, infections and. Uh, uh, people doing ab- young people doing abortions, uh, unsafe sex, and all these kind of mm. things. But uh, also, these kind of problems come as a result of uh, not young people being not empowered. So much more, I designed uh, problem solving based on empowerment, empowerment of income generation, empowerment on wealth, food, empowerment of creating abundance food. Because some young girls go for sex just to get money to buy food for their children. They go just to get money to be able to feed their children. So if you teach them how to grow the food, that means they cannot have chance to have this sexual kind of harassment or go for sex, sell their bodies. Not not placing themselves at as much risk. Yeah, so, and Africa becomes a very big, uh, you know, place uh, that uh, young girls can be taken of advantage 
because the level of poverty are very, very high. And uh, having just something to eat is an opportunity, especially in the city. It's very difficult. So with that, I was very, very able to do some of the work, but it was a quick, quick, quick movement because I was planning so much to focus on my permaculture as much as I was giving attention to different projects. And that's how I started designing, uh, pitching my ideas. I pitched the permaculture app, but it didn't go through so many people because many didn't understand permaculture. I was talking about the solution I'm providing, and people say, what's permaculture? I said, permanent agriculture, a resilient approach to replace or to repair agriculture and other systems that are broken. So, Can you repeat that? Because... Um, yeah. You know, I, I get asked that question a lot too. Like, what is what is permaculture? Yeah. And people go, and it's, it is quite simple. But yeah. I love to hear different and yeah. different interpretations. And I think that interpretation was just perfect. So, yeah. you, when people say to you, "What is permaculture?" Yeah. You say, I, I tell them uh, before I even tell them a definition. I I, I try to break it. Yeah, I try to say to them, permanent agriculture, uh, permanent Easy to yeah, understand. yeah, permanent culture, and yeah. Permanent agriculture, you really have permanent and agriculture. So it's a system that is there not to go, it's to stay, meaning it's a system that can sustain itself. You know, so, and people say, we don't have no, we have never heard about this. What is this? Mm. Then look, this is a system that has existed in, since the 1970s, mm. innovated by Bill Morrison as a result of heavily industrialized agriculture that is a threat to the future. And you can explain all this. So, okay, how does it work? It is based on principles of design and it has its independent ethics and you can design different solutions for different problems. So, and so what I saw, you know, I, I want to be able to distribute this information and the skill set to local farmers at the same time provide organic food, organic agro inputs. And... Yeah, I could be standing in this process, but it's challenging in Africa that they bring people on the panel, a doctor to listen to an agriculture solution. Someone who is a medical doctor is listening to agriculture mm. innovations. So there is a lot of confusion, and that has limited so many innovations of young people. Mm. So that's why I, I pitched then I designed another solution using carbon gardens to grow coffee. Carbon gardens? Yeah, carbon, carbon material yeah. to grow coffee in dry lands using wow. less water. Yeah. And that's how I got my first grant wow. from USAID. So at your farm, because it is a farm you have? Yeah, now I have a Do farm. You, I started what? with a zero. I was empty. How big is, how big is your farm My now? farm now is about uh, four acres. Four acres. And I have another property which was given to me by my friend, who's an, whom I call an Aunt Beatrice, mm. and which is three acres. And that's where it's near the town. So I'm developing it as a seedling breeding point okay. to be able to supply seedlings, uh, indigenous and fruit trees to the community and to customers, but at the same time, it's a, a, poor, it's a center where I'm breeding all the seedlings I'm taking to my farm mm. to develop my other farm, which is far end, also along the River Nile. Do you have permanent employees that work for you? Yeah, I have. I have, I have. On my other farm, I have three. On the other one, I also have three. 
on the school property I have now four on the school property in Sabina I have four then a core team of three and other extra three so meaning the team that operates in camp office is a team of seven okay. plus the other th- three three six uh, seven plus six plus other four. Okay. Yeah. So Do about twelve, of, and I have, uh, I pay these people. We have. And they're actually. Sure. Yeah, they are employees. So your income is generated through running permaculture design courses. Yeah, we, you said you're developing your own type of fertilizer. Yeah, we have a fertilizer, which I sell. But sometimes I also go out and I train people on an alternative if they cannot afford that fertilizer. Okay. But uh, our courses make a lot of money because I can make a profit of 14 million Ugandan shilling, which is quite a lot of money in dollars. I don't know how much. I was going to say, can you do the conversion? The conversion of you dollars. No, I'm going to do the conversion. Yeah, um, uh, uh, you can divide 14 million into three, three, seven, zero, zero. 14 million Ugandan shillings. Is that 14, what they call it? Yeah. Divide, so, divide into. Um, okay, so in Rupia, that's 53 million, so... No, you see, the whole course, I can raise about 54 million in the whole in course. In Rupia, I'm talking Rupia now. So the Ugandan Rupi- shillings, you said 14 million? Yeah, 14 million, 14 million Ugandan shillings. Okay. And uh, uh, that's my net profit, really. For a... A course, for one PDC course. Great. okay. So and that uh, generates... Yeah. It generates income. It can pay my workers for almost six Mm. months. But the last course, I invested all my net profit into scholarships. Okay. Scholarships for young people. Yeah, only young people to do permaculture design. Yeah, to do permaculture design course. And I had allowed. I gave eleven scholarships. Eleven scholarships. Yeah. So the also help of Mora Gamble. Mora Gamble from Australia was my supervisor. Since I'm very young, upcoming permaculturist. They, they come and assist with it? Yeah, they come to supervise my course and uh, co-teach. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm teaching a PDC, mm-hmm. but every time I also have a separate class gotcha. with my supervisor. Are you getting people um, visiting from... Overseas to yeah, do the course, or yeah, is, it have, Ugand- is it Ugandans who can I have, afford to do it? I have people from all of Africa who come for my course, right. my courses, and uh, some from U- Europe mm. as well. Uh, because when I was in Poland teaching, many people came for my. So you went to Poland for the Young Global Leaders Conference. Yeah, be work, starting working with the. Uh, COP and all these events that are international mm-hmm. came as a result of uh, USAID having given me that opportunity, a grant, giving me office space. They paid for my office, uh, paid for my consultancy. If I want any consultant, they, I get straight away highly qualified consultants working for the best university in my country. Uh, I have access to them. I have uh, access to recommendation to any office uh, whether state house whether what I can go to any office mm. so this uh, is a prestigious innovation hub uh, which where they paid for my office space and for mentorship for my team and all these kind of things 
So this improved my business so much mm -hmm. to the extent that today when I produce coffee, I produce my own coffee now. Can you sell that? I have it here. I brought it. I'm going to exhibit you it. You haven't given me a cup of coffee yet. Uh, I, I, I definitely... Making I'm going me to slave away <laughs> in the garden uh, and you didn't offer me a coffie. I'm Are going to do it. I'm going to do it. I've given uh, Jameson <laughs> to share with the high school teacher. I've given Kylie to share with the colleagues. So I'm yet to give you one of that pack of coffee grown by, <laughs> by our so farmers. So, look, so intriguing. And, I mean, your, I mean, your story, your upbringing yeah. is just amazing yeah. Yeah. and can, so different to yeah. where I've come from yeah. and many people that I know have come from. You now have your social enterprise, which yeah. seems like it's really gaining momentum. Yeah. And you're currently here in Bali to promote your cause, would you say? What's yeah. Your, what's your agenda for yeah. being here at the Green School? Like, yeah. what, what do you want to... Well, not, I shouldn't say the Green School. Like, what's your agenda for mm. being in Bali? Is yeah. it to grow your knowledge and understanding of a different climate? Yeah. Is it to... Um, promote your business like yeah. what what are you what are you here for yeah possibly uh, i can tell you that uh, one of the greatest thing uh, can that can ever happen to a teacher is exposure exposure not uh, exposure where you are exposed to learning of new ideas at the same time an exposure to me as an individual my passion to create change one of the motivation to come was about the children because when they came to Poland, uh, as I've done other conference workshops in Germany when I was teaching in Germany, and they come, I come to teach in Poland, mm. and how I see the momentum of the workshops and the trainings, I felt so passionate about the children who flew from here to come mm. to be part of that conference and the change they want to make yeah. and when you see them attentive listening to you keenly asking questions trying to be concerned to explore it was a big motivation to me and i felt at peace i said okay there is another part of the world where i have young people who are really very concerned about this issue which are my passion and apart from being my passion it's my career Climate change. It's your career. It's my career to develop yep. these solutions and to work around showing people how permaculture can be a very strong catalyst to address climate change, to address the sustainable development goals, to address problems of today. Mm. So when I saw this, I said, I must come. And because the 45, 20, one-hour minutes which they had in, in my class, I felt it was less. You needed more time. Yeah, I need more time. And uh, the fact that I had an engagement with Jameson and I could see what work is Jason happening. Jason Goodsman. Yeah. He's yeah. a guest on yeah. the show as well. Yeah, and to see <laughs> what, show yeah, the work they are doing, mm. children running, participating on building a construction project where they are not professionals, but they are learning and they perfect the work. So, and they're uh, sponges yeah. who, are, who can be shaped and molded. Yes. So it was a big motivation for me. They are, and their love, the way they, the, the attitude of approaching me, wanting to learn, mm. that was a very strong motivation. You don't see and that with Ugandan teenagers? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not as common. Not so common with the young people. But as far as we are going, parents are noticing that it's becoming too late for them to create change. Mm. And all what they have are the children. Mm. So they feel good. When I talk out there in Uganda, parents just <coughs> want to invite me to their houses to talk mm. to their children. That means they wish if I was their son. Some of them wish, they wish I was their child. And they would love to see their children at least having a vision for other people. Some parents have done so much wrong that they feel they can't collect it. They have done so much wrong, they feel they have no hope to correct it. And the only way they can is helping the children to do the right thing. Making amends. Yeah. So that is something that uh, brought me to Bali, that I can share what I have, as well learn much, as much as I can from the societies here, and it has happened because everything I've found here is totally different from many societies I've visited. Mm. And the, the having a bamboo structure where you guys have proven I've not seen these structures anywhere, and I've always dreamt about this. People have always told me, please, Mr. Charles, uh, we, they, uh, when we produce the first design of our school, uh, I will show you it is a concrete, but what I said, what makes it sustainable, because it's what I was exposed to, I said, I'm running the building with solar. The, all the waste management system is going to be eco-friendly, mm. using grey water systems, harvesting all the poo the feces, to use them as fertilizer, have filtering the waters, all these systems having top roof gardens, having vertical food producing system on this concrete house mm. or school. Yeah. So that's how the only chance I had to defend myself. But now here I come, I learn a new design system for housing where I can have only bamboo as a house, as a class, as everything, as an office. Yeah. There's so, so many schools in the world so, that are of this size. Yeah doing what it's doing in terms of sustainable um, practices in a school setting. So it is a... I've not seen in this kind of school anywhere. Mm. I, I've been... People have asked me about the Spadobi. I didn't even know what a Spadobi is, but I had an idea. And it's my first time to say Spadobi. I'm in a studio with Spadobi. Spadobi? Yeah. The studio here is in Spadobi. And this in Africa, people are fighting, struggling. We, they hire. International schools are hiring people to fly from Thailand, from America, from where to just come build this design. Mm. And what does this mean? Effectively, my visit, effectively yeah, a mud brick. Yeah. My visit here means what? means a collaboration. Now I can design a catalog with an arrangement of people who did this here and take this to Uganda as a product. They see it as a mere thing. The children did this. There is a young man here called Seith. I think he's one of the young people on the project, on this Spadobi project and the roofing. And Excuse me, I'm sorry. What, I'm, what did you... You have a student here yeah. whom I've met in a couple of days, Seith. Seth? Who, yep. Yeah, who has been part of this project for a very long time. Start, yeah. And his skill set is almost growing. Mm. And... This puts me in a position that there is a possibility 
that there is transfer of innovation, transfer of skill. Instead of hiring people from far, we can hire these very young people to do yeah, this I mean, kind of projects. That's a good example. He's yeah. going to walk out of this place with no? like practical skills that yeah. go beyond yeah. most adults. And um, we, we have started already negotiating an opportunity to have him as mm-hmm. a, to run a, one of these. We want to build place spaces for children in schools and also put place spaces on our permaculture project, which is going to have a permaculture arboretum. Yeah. So another thing I am passionate about is looking at today's designs of agriculture and transform them into a permaculture sense. Mm. When I look at an arboretum, which has... Excuse me? Arboretum. You know an arboretum? You know my English is also not the best. No, that's fine. You're, you've been great to understand. Yeah, considering um, English is your second language. Yeah, so it was a baritum. A R B O R E T U M. Some a baritum. Okay. A collection of trees from different parts of the world. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, but I think I've heard that. Before. Yeah. Apart from a collection of trees in a different place. And I've seen different arboretums in Britain, where, where I've all been in the countries. They are not multi-purpose. They are single-value systems, okay. where people look at them, beautiful, good air, mm. beauty of a man. But the arboretum I'm talking about, which is a permaculture arboretum, is a streamlined arboretum that is based on design, to create abundance of food, abundance of medicine, Producing. abundance of ecological systems, and abundance of safe space, of learning. Mm. So that's the kind of a permaculture baritam would look like, okay. where you have trees, document them, show botanical name, show the local name, mm. show the uses, show the number of tissues, show the, age, the years of growth, show details about a tree. When someone flies from Jamaica... But then link it to a climate? Yeah, link it to a climate, design it in a way it serves ecological systems, mm. it harvests fruits, it, harvests, it gives medicine to the people. So in the way that it's a multifunction system. So agriculture of today, agriculture which is designed in universities at most time is a single-lined value system. A monoculture. Yeah. So which is, we don't need that system anymore. The future doesn't need that system. It's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, and we are seeing, good enough, we are testing the results of our sins. Mm-hmm. I call that sinning. Anybody working against nature is the worst sin you can ever do because it's nailing your feet. It's just nailing your feet onto your head. Where do you see yourself in 20 years' time? Uh, 20 years' time, I see, I want, uh, uh, this is a very ambitious plan that I'm very confident to fulfill. Um, I'm planning, um, I've started working on my retirement plan Starting next year, I'm working on my retirement plan for seven years. And you're 27 now? Yeah, I'm 27 now. So and I have. You're going to retire in seven years? I, I know, 14, I have 14 years left for me to retire. So I'm working for seven years to fulfill the retirement plan. Then the other seven years, I go back uh, to my country to be able to revamp, lift support my team again on running the school, on running the other projects of the school. Uh, but uh, 
in reality at 41, 30 to 40, between 39 to 41, I'll be in my days of contesting for presidency of my right. country. But was, as I'm going to do my studies to a level of a PhD, I'll be planning for my retirement. As I'm going to be studying but doing a retirement so, plan. So you're going to run for the president of Uganda? Yeah, at the age of, at the age of 40 or 41. Amazing. Yeah. So, but my interest is much more green policies. We have already started working on our agenda of green policies, um, the, trying to see which areas to change. We are not interested in criticizing anybody in our country. All the great people have done great things. Museveni um, has taken us through the war, and we, we, we are building bridges across other countries. We are building good relationships. We are supporting other victims of war. We are taking in refugees. We are taking in lots of people in our country. I don't want to underestimate any contribution from our leaders. And I don't want to be a stereotype kind of person who sees politics and leaders, however much they have stayed long, as wrong people. As wrong people. Wrong people. Yeah, because uh, the stereotype behavior creates an element where you see other people as they don't deserve to be in that position. But mm. when you read, before you come in a place, what was the process for them to be in the positions they are in? So that's a very sensitive matter to discuss because as my country is leading to election, but I'm very sincere that everybody knows me and my intentions because I also have a relationship with the government people I work with them. I try to be, instead of fighting them, I want to work with them. Mm. And permaculture doesn't address me to work in the opposition sense. That doesn't address me in that way. And that's why the majority of young people in my country, uh, they are following one of the young people we have who is a, a stereotype kind of politician. Mm. And uh, that's not what we need to teach the young people. We need to teach them to serve other people. You go out there, plant a million trees, show the people what you can do. Then coming out, start fighting, uh, demonstrating, and saying how injustice has done. But in, in our country, we have peace. We are safe. We have peace. It's a country, yes, as much robbers as we can have. I walk at night as to my place. I move to my place anytime. Yes, we have cases of robbery, we have cases of crime, which is America has more crime than Uganda. Mm. Germany has more crime than Uganda. I'm sure Australia is the Actually, same. America is more corrupt. It's the most corrupt country I've ever seen. I have desired to be in America, but I no longer desire to be there. The people of America are good people. The people of America. Most of them are good people. But the system of the government or the system of democracy, the system of the rich people is compromised. Is it's toxic. Yeah, it's very I think toxic. inherently most people are yeah. good. It doesn't matter where they're yeah, from. Yeah, it's very toxic. But so I don't want to people to listen to our podcast, then they drive it to be a political issue. We cannot discuss issues of economics and we leave governance. 
We cannot discuss issues of justice for the planet and we leave governance. Mm. We cannot discuss issues of poverty and we leave governance. We cannot discuss issues of welfare and leave governance. We cannot discuss issues of investing in education and we leave governance. Because everything is centered on who controls the resources. If someone controls the resources and he agrees to distribute resources fairly to other societies or to other thematic areas of investment, then there is fair growth, not competition. So as people, oppositions or leaders, there is no need to compete. They have to... So our desire to create the competition divides societies. So living in a divided society, meaning we are going to continue to grow divide from ideology to our families, to our color, to our tribes. Permaculture doesn't discuss that. Mm. When I come in this Bali area and I walk and people want to say hello to me, I stop, greet them. The local people, I pause, we take pictures. I feel very happy. In German, people looked at me. I was going to do a UN duty, a global duty. And when I was asking someone, please, Where's the train going to this place? And someone thought, I'm begging. So some people have come. There is a lot of, we have a very big job. Change makers, the duty, we are on full-time duty. Permacultures, we are on full-time duty. It is a big job we have as, we have got to share the tools and have as many colleagues as many people we can convert to become change makers. It's a big job we have got to do every day. Whether you are having coffee and you have a chance, you preach someone and just share, tell him, try about permaculture, try. There are so many people who have contacted me, telling me testimonies. My students in Kenya, there are so many people who have my motivation has come from the testimonies of some of my students. So I feel coming to Bali makes me dream much more bigger and get much more hope and confidence that when a time comes and I stand, these very children are not going to be children. There will be the people in the office they will testify and say, that is possible and we support that so I'm very happy and I'm not worried of losing because I'm already doing my change, I'm already doing my job I'm not going to pay anybody to vote me when time comes I don't need to pay anybody, I'll sell the ideology so everything you're doing now is working towards you yeah getting to the top to be able to discuss an ideology of green policy. And share from, share from the top. Yes. As president of Uganda. Yes, I want to, I'm going to run as a president. I'll run, and nobody is going to stop me. Will you be the first green president of Uganda? And um, uh, I've already working, actually, we are working on a policy with the Parliament of East Africa, which is called Permaculture Zero Free Land. No zero free land. If you cannot use your land in two years, you must plant fruit trees. By law. By law? Yeah. 
So that's the policy we are working on. And after presenting it to the East African Parliament, it's going to be presented in six countries. Amazing. So that is one of the thoughts I had that I will achieve it in a, about oh, 10 years. But it happened recently. And when one of the ministers saw substance in permaculture, and he knew my story. He knew my story, and he made sure that I get invited by the parliament. Amazing. And that happened just recently before I flew here. It's like it's early April. What a journey. Yeah, so I'm very grateful to be here, and um, I'm, I'm very humbled, and I like to be very humbled. And uh, I'll, there are so many people I've learned from, uh, leaders, I listen to a lot of leaders, I try to articulate their ideologies, mm. I try to look into the history of the country, I try to look into the future, and uh, I believe Uganda, as a country, to serve other countries, there is need for collaboration, trying to bridge as much collaboration as possible. Yeah. We don't need to go to develop so many new things, mm. we just need to replicate ideas. Go to Bali, see how people do things. We go and replicate and make them fit us. We go learn from different societies. If we come together as the country or as different countries and different religions, we have the solutions to solve the world's problems. We have them in our hands. Just that our selfishness and ego to continue stay like I'm an American person I don't sit on the same table with a black man. I'm an American father. I can't allow my child to be married to a black man. So those kind of small differences are putting us in far distance to achieve the dream of the world. So, yeah. Charles, it's been epic. It's been two hours. Yeah. And um, it's been absolutely amazing working with you over the last week. Um, obviously I really have enjoyed sharing knowledge on permaculture practices, but, uh, your conduct around the school and the way you engage people and the way they warm to you so quickly, you can sense there's a real love and care for people. And that is what's going to make you an amazing president of Uganda. Thanks for being on the podcast, my friend. And I look forward to continuing to follow your journey. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here because um, uh, I have not got so much time to stay in places. As, uh, <laughs> but it is very nice for me to be in Bali. It is. It has been a relief, a reflection, mm. seeing children. Where are their children is my hope. My hope lies in children. When I see their age, and I say, this child is six years, he has a long way to make it to 18. Mm -hmm. So that means I can still do something. Definitely. So if he's having 18, whether I'm 40 or 20, I still have a chance to do something. And I'm going to continue to do the work. I'm going to continue to keep the bridge. I would like also to thank the producer, yeah, Adrian Tan. Thank Mr. you, Adrian. Adrian. I'd like at least one he's time you visit us. my country also. And he's given up his time on a Sunday yeah, to come in today. So, so thank you. It is my pleasure. It's my pleasure. 
it approves your your commitment as a change maker as we have always said we are always on duty whether we are arresting whether a change maker is always on duty well you got to you got to walk the walk yeah, you can't just talk yeah. the talk you know? people dump the rubbish you pick the rubbish mm. if you cannot if they cannot if they continue to dump you get them to pick the rubbish <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, very interesting thank yeah. you so much for your uh, your silence doesn't mean that you are not articulating these ideas and doesn't mean you can't share them you are sharing in your own way so thank yeah, you Adrian. yeah thank you so much mr shannon yeah, thank you and the, the bali school for being very good they have taken care of me so well yeah yeah i'm, I'm having a good time you are yeah i can tell yeah all right yeah. and that's we'll cut we'll leave it there yeah thank you yeah thank you very much Crush Organics makes the best CBD oils and topicals. Go to crushorganics.com, that's K-R-U-S-H-O-R-G-A-N-I-C-S.com and use code THT, THT uh, to get that epic 40% discount. Uh, it makes a huge difference. I advocate for CBD products because they've done so much for me physically and mentally. So really helps me uh, post-exercise with recovery and it's also done loads for me in terms of getting me in really good sleep patterns and also reducing feelings of anxiety. So get on crushorganics.com. Indosole Footwear have been a long-time supporter of THT. They make uh, footwear like sandals, flip-flops, slides from repurposed motor vehicle tyres. So tyres that would usually go into landfill, Indosole get them and they process them down and turn them into footwear that looks awesome. Um, they're a B Corp certified company, which is the same company that uh, Patagonia is certified by. And actually, Patagonia created that certification. So they do everything fair trade and ethically. They're a rad company, and I'm so stoked to be affiliated with them. So use code THT at indosol.com. That's I-N-D-O-S-O-L-E.com. Use the code THT, get the 15% discount, support THT and support conscious consumerism.